0: You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 173 coming up on this week's show. Bundesliga brings the noise. La Liga announces ambitious plans for their return. Why MLS is skating on thin ice financially. How TV piracy may scupper the Newcastle takeover plans. NWSL is back. Back again. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. For those listeners tuning in that haven't uh, listened to this podcast before, uh, this is really a deep dive into watching soccer on television. So everything from talking about the commentating, the broadcasting, the programming selections, uh, the coverage, the halftime analysis, if there is any... I uh, mean, basically, kind of a global view of uh, die-hard soccer fans, but also even digging deeper into a lot of the business and politics about watching soccer. Uh, who has the rights? Uh, who are the rights going to? And uh, you mean who are the players in the, in the streaming side? Who are the companies that uh, look like they're going to be? You mean the acquiring more rights to some of these properties that we used to watch on television a lot more. So a lot of that. And uh, Karthik, so let's dive in. We're going to change things up a little bit in this episode. So rather than going into what we've been watching, which I'm sure for you and for me and probably most of the listeners is Bundesliga crazy, which is awesome, uh, we'll get to that in a little while. Um, That's definitely great news. And and it's a lot of uh, fantastic uh, things to talk about there. But before we get to that, Karthik, and uh, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here. And that is is that um, pretty soon, I mean, La Liga is going to be back and pretty soon the Premier League is going to be back, among other leagues. And I think in many ways the Bundesliga has put down a, a blueprint. They've been a pioneer in how to bring back soccer uh, and and make it work in terms of everything from the... Uh, kind of the health set, set up in terms of uh, from the medical side, making sure that the testing, the availability, uh, making sure the players are you know, in these hotels where they're not going to be interacting with the public, etc., playing uh, games behind closed doors. They've done everything right. I think this has been a blueprint, not just for the Premier League and La Liga, but for other leagues from around the world. And and I think, though, too, with the Bundesliga, the the Germans are very very stubborn in some ways uh, in terms of the the broadcast times. And now we have La Liga looking to come back around about uh, June 11th. That's the latest date. And the Premier League looking to come back around about June, June 19th. That's their latest date. Is I think they're going to take all the the best ideas that the Germans have done, and run with it, and and, and make it uh, more TV friendly as far as kickoff times, make it more of a, a TV focus, and probably take a lot of the credits. Um And then the Bundesliga will will continue to grow slowly but surely. But I think it's going to be La Liga and the Premier League that's going to step right in, and take take off and, and and who knows um what those numbers will be like I, I would imagine they'd be much greater for that than for the bundesliga w- what do you think kartik
1: I, I think both those leagues have significant hurdles in, in even if they start their seasons to finishing their seasons that maybe the bundesliga doesn't have in that the coronavirus pandemic health situation in both of those countries is significantly worse than germany uh, it, it's a little bit now more under control in both places, particularly in Spain. Uh, but I think that that's a uh, that, that that's an obstacle. I mean, we can look at abstract dates on a, on a piece of paper and say, "Oh, great! You know, the La Liga is going to be back, and uh, they're going to have all these match days." I'm I'm concerned, obviously, by the number of positive tests we have in the Premier League. Um, I'm concerned about restarts in general. I mean, I'm just not uh, terribly comfortable with it. But the Bundesliga has done a very good job. Uh, I'm sure once the Premier League restarts, though. Uh, being the Premier League, they will have the highest numbers globally, and they will take the credit, and there will be very little acknowledgement of what else goes on. Um, something to watch with this, though, is that the uh, Football League in England, League 2 has been canceled. League 1 uh, is on the precipice of being canceled, and uh, or on the, on the cusp of being canceled. The championship, I think, is very contingent on what the Premier League decides to do, not As far as restarting when they restart, but how they decide to finish their season with relegation in in terms of uh, just how that plays out. So that's another thing to watch. I do. So I I do not think uh, the championship can come back until the Premier League has determined a competition format. So we're looking probably at July for that if they come back.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the latest, again, this is on paper. This is from uh, the EFL, but the latest for the championship is June 20th. So coming back the yeah. same the same weekend, actually the, the day after the Premier League. And again, all, all these dates are uh, TBD until – a lot of it depends on the training, uh, getting these teams and the, these athletes back up and running. But I think what the Germans have done extremely well is having that controlled environment – and and that's my fear for the Premier League and also for La Liga is, um, are the players going to stick to that in controlled environment as well as the German players or the players from around the world who play in the Bundesliga in Germany? I have some some, um, some of my, my doubts on that. But if you look at the, the numbers, Karthik, uh, I think for the Premier League, the testing that they did um, uh, recently, I think it was last week, there were less than five players um out of what seven hundred and something, they tested positive. Uh, La Liga, it was I think exactly five, and those five athletes um, had uh, asympt- asymptomatic, uh, uh, I guess, uh, results. So uh, I think they were surprised that they had it. But th- that—that's my optimistic outlook: is that as long as players can can go by the the, the rules, stay within the guidelines. Uh, stay within these controlled environments, that, that it is possible to bring these back.
1: I, I think there's there's two, two concerns here in terms of the Premier League. One, we had a couple more positive tests yesterday. Secondly, Uh, coronavirus has been a case of football and footballers behaving badly, at least in society's eyes. I think much of it has been overblown, exaggerated uh, by the media. Uh, But there is a state of, um, you know, it's very funny. I was thinking about this yesterday. The United States is a society where right now everybody is is live and let live and being individualistic and and breaking rules and and flaunting it. Uh, Whereas in the United Kingdom, it's become a a society of uh, Snitches, for lack of a better term. Right. And we see that even in the whole Dominic Cummings fiasco, if you follow politics. So uh, there has been a image hit to football during the coronavirus in England specifically, which we have not seen in other countries. There has been a overplaying of every uh, every uh, player who's gone out to a nightclub or, or broken curfew. Uh, now, one in Callum Hudson-Odoi has behaved, behaved horribly and is rightfully being punished, but uh, or will rightfully what about, be
0: punished. Anyway. What about uh, Kyle Walker?
1: And but guys like Kyle Walker breaking curfew—that's that—that that was really overblown uh, in in the media. Whether you—I uh, mean—he broke the rules clearly, and there are some other examples of that. In addition, I think that there has been a general view in society that football. As an entity, footballers wouldn't take pay cuts the way uh, people wanted, the general public wanted, and football owners and, regu- uh, and regulatory bodies, including the Premier League, Football League, and FA, uh, all got a lot of shtick from the public uh, during March and April. So I think England is in a very different position than, let's say, Spain, where I don't think there's been that much as much backlash or Italy, and certainly Germany, there wasn't. So um, this d- is a big test for the Premier League in terms of regaining the public's confidence domestically. Internationally, everyone loves the Premier League, right? right, right. But I think in the, in the domestic market, not just the Premier League, football in general, football has taken a black eye during coronavirus in in England, for, for rightly or wrongly. I mean, I think a lot yeah. of it has been overblown, but that there's think, definitely been a backlash against the game.
0: Yeah, so so, so from the, the media's point of view, in terms of it being overblown, I I can see that, but probably because there's more of an industry as far as newspapers and Sky Sports News, you mean, and yeah. and, and trying to to make a story out of nothing or just trying to make a story out, out of anything, and you've got this huge industry that for the last three months have had really nothing to report on. You mean, transfer rumors out the window, fantasy football out the window, uh, football matches and the coverage of those games out the window. So they've been gravitating to anything they can get their hands on. So I think there's more in some ways, the footballers lives are more under the microscope than even before, perhaps, because there's nothing else to for the media to focus on. But but going back to the Premier League and La Liga for a second, Kartik, they're TV plans. So these are, again, not completely finalised yet. Um, when we're recording this podcast right now on Thursday, uh, we should get more details out within the next 24 hours about uh, the plans. But what we know so far, it's going to be a TV bonanza. I mean, in terms of from the viewer's point of view, uh, once these leagues do return to play, the Premier League is looking at doing um, basically games Saturdays, Sundays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Uh, the Saturday and Sunday block, now this is Eastern time in you know, the United States, games will there'll be 10 hours of back-to-back coverage. So games will be at 7 a.m., 9 a.m. Eastern, 11 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock, and 3 o'clock. So from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 hours, on both Saturdays and Sundays, all of those games will be will will happen from. I mean, staggered kickoffs. So for if you're NBCSN, you've got ten hours guaranteed of coverage. I mean, and some of those games probably on NBC, over the air network. Um, and then with uh, the midweek games, the Tuesdays and Wednesdays, they're looking at uh, one p.m. kickoffs and three p.m. kickoffs. So again, back to back staggered matches. So you have got four hours on Tuesdays, four hours on Wednesdays. La Liga. Is looking to have matches every single day of the week. So that on weekends, Eastern Time, they'll have three games, uh, kicking off at 11 a.m. Eastern, 1:30, uh, and then 3:30. So that you have like, like six hours of, of coverage. And then weekday games will be uh, kicking off um, <coughs> Spanish time in the evening uh, at night time, just because of uh, the heat and humidity. But the, the games will be played, uh, shown live, and be in sports. Uh, kickoff times are around about three o'clock or four o'clock, depending on um when they actually finalise that. So what the Bundesliga has done, which has done an incredible job of really figuring out how to do all of this, um, and being stubborn in, in that they don't like changing kickoff times, even when there's no fans in the stadiums, even when there's you I mean if if at any time in the in the future of the Bundesliga they could change the t- the kickoff times, this would have been it. Um They've this kind of stuck to pretty much the same times that they've had before, uh, and then I think, and like I said before too, I think the Premier League and La Liga are looking at a TV bonanza here. The question I have, Kartik, is: Do you think the fans will return to watching these games uh, at the same numbers as before
1: on television? Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think uh, uh, the Premier League numbers. Look, we've seen the Premier League numbers have been. Um, you know, pe critics would say, uh, including a lot of MLS backers, that, oh, they're stagnant. They haven't really grown in the U.S. the last few years. Similarly, they haven't really declined in the U.S. at a time when sports numbers, numbers for sports in general are going down. Or have been going down. That's pre-coronavirus. The re- television ratings for sports, uh, I mean, there have been exceptions, right? Tiger Woods won the Masters. He was in contention until uh, with the, the 17th hole of the, of the British Open the year before the Open Championship. So there have been some spikes here and there when there have been um, these sort of uh, – I uh, think Venus Williams was in the – or sorry, Serena Williams was in the final of uh, – Uh, of, uh, of, I can't even remember which Grand Slam tournament now. It's been so long. But yeah, so there have been these spikes, right? Um, But generally, sports numbers have gone down over the course of the last four or five years. And the Premier League numbers have been very stagnant. You hear critics say, oh, well, uh, they haven't grown, right? And NBC was counting on all this growth. At the same time, um, nothing else has grown. So um, I think they'll be the same. Now La Liga, there's the issue of distribution again in the United States. And the question is, how many people, Chris, who had been, or had Fubo, been via Fubo, via Sling, via whatever, uh, prior to this pandemic, uh, now uh, have a financial crunch and have canceled the the the, uh, the service? That I think is a is a big question as far as La Liga's numbers and um, the unemployment rate, the 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 kind of economic suffering. Um, it's it's bad everywhere, but it's worse in the United States. So um, than it is in Western Europe. So I, I, I have that question. I mean, the, the the BN issue, unfortunately, is one we cannot get away from when we're talking about La Liga.
0: Yeah, but I think it's always going to be there because uh, there's still. Well, actually, in some ways, I mean, in terms of people having cable and satellite, and those numbers of people uh, cutting the cord there and saying, "Okay, I'm done with cable. I'm done with satellite." Those numbers, I think, the first quarter of uh, 2020 was what 1.8 million people cut the cord from from those services. So many of them are gravitating towards your Sling TV, your um, YouTube TV, etc. So some of the streaming platforms we know very well. Um, and then you've got some people that cut the cord that didn't go to a streaming service but have access to over-the-air television. So you're over-the-air NBC or you're over-the-air I don't know ABC or whatever it may be. So if those games are going to be on over-the-air tel- television, some of those games from the Premier League, they're okay. With La Liga, yeah, La Liga, that's going to hurt them in terms of not having any uh, over-the-air uh, delivery method. But I think in, in in some ways, though, too, I mean, I don't know, with being sports, it, it is one of those things that if you want being sports, it's easy to get. It, if you want La Liga soccer, it's easy to get. So Fanatis, which is like, well, eight bucks a month, you can get... All the BN Sports channels, including the Connect channels, plus you mean plus Gold TV and a whole bunch of other channels for eight bucks a month. So to me, there's it's the BN Sports distribution is always an issue. As long as there's they they don't have access to as long as Comcast and and DirecTV do not uh, have them on there, that is always going to be an issue, And and I don't see that changing anytime soon. But if you really want it, you can get it. But yeah, I I think I agree with you, Kartik. In terms of uh, the numbers, I think they'll be just as strong as they were before. And and who knows? I mean, this is this is the big test. Is with that? You mean ten hours of coverage on a Saturday or a Sunday? Um, Is that an opportunity for NBC to promote that like crazy? Which which you know they will, uh, especially when there's no other sports on. How will those numbers do in terms of just your casual sports fan? The casual sports fan has really not been tuning in to watch the Bundesliga, um, which is their problem. I mean, that's that's they're missing out. Um, whether or not, maybe with the, with the Premier League, maybe it'll be more accessible because it's in you know, in English and it's easier to kind of for people to to gravitate towards that, where there's that common language.
1: Another big question is. Um I got a lot of feedback when I said, look, I think that it's too early because of health concerns for all these leaks to be coming back. Um, I got a lot of surprising feedback. And again, it's by no means scientific, but this is between uh, Facebook and Twitter and and social media of people who said, you know what, we're – diehard sports fans, we're Chicago Bulls fans or whatever, they were watching that documentary, right? And we, we haven't really missed sports the way we thought we would. We uh, uh, we kind of have liked the break to focus on our families and do some reading and focus on uh, other th- other aspects of society, watch movies, et cetera, probably watch Netflix. Now, um, June... 19th is very different than May 15th or 16th when the Bundesliga came back. So uh, that's an additional month where those people might say, you know what, I really do miss sports. So that might play in the Premier League's uh, advantage in addition to the accessibility of being on NBC over the year. As we presume, many of these games will be, as um, if they always are. They show 30, 34 matches a year on on NBC. It might end up being more this season. More this season, uh, thirty-four matches a season versus Fox's uh, tepid commitment to the uh, Bundesliga, which we'll get to when we review what we watch this week. And uh, so it could actually really play in the Premier League's favor that people will hit that point where they they they're now hankering for sports to come back. Premier League will come back. Let's presume June 19th is the date that they're able to stick to that. And then you have NWSL the following week. It could be really a good time for soccer. Um, Now, the other uh, question is if the ratings that we've seen for NASCAR, which haven't been as great as maybe some people expected, and then obviously Bundesliga we've talked about, if that's an indicator of this lag continuing, or is it again, the Fox effect? We don't know.
0: Yeah, we will find out, right, Kartik? We will find out in in the next few weeks. And, and again, some great data points. I'm sure they'll be coming through, and we'll be talking about them in coming weeks. And uh, before we get to the Bundesliga, just one more thing to Kartik is that uh, coming up a little bit later in the news section, we'll be talking about uh, a lot of the, the the great news that's happening within the industry about watching uh, games and more leagues coming online. But one of the things we'll talk about too is Major League Soccer and the position that they're in right now and whether it is a positive or a negative uh, financially. So we'll get to that in a little while. But, Kartik, you mentioned um, the Bundesliga and fans, I mean, oh, it's just pe- people in general, the public, doing other things, like, you know, uh, riding bikes, watching Netflix, uh, going to the beach, whatever it may be, uh, or staying indoors and doing gardening, what- whatever it is. I was shocked Absolutely shocked. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was shocked at the number of people on Tuesday that were tuning in to the Bayern Munich against uh, Dortmund uh, 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 Classica who were saying like, and these are people that are like, I thought were like hardcore uh, US soccer fans, but that number of people were saying like, oh my gosh, like, what's this thing about the the crowd noise? Like, as if it was a brand new thing that had just happened that day. And that was the very first game that was doing the artificial crowd noise. And I'm like, where were you over the weekend when all these games were happening and the Mines game had uh, the, the artificial crowd noise? I was surprised by that, Carter, because I thought, again, to me and you, you I think we're, we're different than, say, we're different than everyone. But but in, <laughs> to me, if it's soccer on television, I don't care what, what soccer it is. If it's, if it's Major League Soccer, USL, NESL, Bundesliga, whatever it may be, I will watch it. I mean, watch. I've watched the Belarus uh, Premier League. I've watched, I mean, you name it. Um, I will watch it and I will enjoy it, but I, I was I was shocked at how many people have not been watching the Bundesliga, even soccer fans.
1: Yeah, but that that match is all, matchup is always a matchup that gets crossover appeal, right? I mean, there was even one year Fox did move the game to FX because uh, they were uh, there was a lot of criti- criticisms of the game not being on uh, over the year Fox, uh, it, it, as you remember, that was the year Christian Pulisic broke through at, 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 at Dortmund and, and Thomas Tuchel was the manager. There is, uh, I think. A, 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 an awareness the Bundesliga is playing, but at the same time, people are kind of uh, they, they, they their lives have changed, right? I mean, and, and I know it's only been two months or two and a half months uh, of lockdown, and, and now phased kind of reopening in the US, uh, UK is a little different, as we've talked about, uh, but. That I, I think that people fundamentally kind of their daily routine has changed and they're, they're not into getting up in the morning and watching uh, uh, soccer, football. I mean, that having been said, uh, the Bundesliga ratings haven't been terrible. Maybe they haven't met uh, our expectations. Uh, but then this match, this specific match, always gets crossover people, yeah. uh, people who watch other leagues, people who uh, are soccer fans in general. And uh, I think there's also um, – And and I dealt with this, I'll get into this later, this growing, uh, uh, you know, feedback from U.S. soccer fans who don't, who, uh, who, who, who want to put down some of these players for whatever reason. And, um, they're tuning in and, and, and they're making comments and they're reacting to things I'm saying on Twitter that are favorable about, uh, uh, other North American uh, about the North American players currently in the Bundesliga, so um, it's a very uh, it, it's a very odd thing. But the, the the thing I have noticed though is that your soccer media, Chris, the people who generally de- ne- did not pay attention to the Bundesliga and when it was on at the same time as the Premier League, and I guess it's a soccer media everywhere because in the U.S. we we have had a contingent of people who watch the Bundesliga almost out of spite for the Premier League, right? Yeah. There's been a few of those through the years, uh, because they, uh, they, they don't like the Premier League. And, and so they, uh, they, they will deliberately very kind of, um, blatant, uh, uh, very openly at, at uh, when the games are running concurrently tweet about when this league matches. Um, there has been a spike in media interest in this league. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Um, so now, does that change how the media will cover f- leagues in Europe going forward? Um, I think it's it's possible. I also do think, though, that um, that there is. Uh, Always the the, the problem of when uh, these leagues come back, people then just focusing on the Premier League or whatever domestic league they prefer. And without European competition, we don't have a resumption date for that yet. Uh, The president of Lyon said it was going to be August 3rd. His team is obviously done for the season um, because Lyon canceled their season. Without European competition, there's really little incentive for media to watch other leagues. And that's always been a big thing. Uh, I've always been very critical of the media, in Britain in particular, that they have a lack of knowledge of, of the other the continental leagues. Uh, but then they tend to always want to watch Bayern or Juventus or, or Real Madrid when they can because they think there'll be threats in, in European competition for, for British clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that, uh, currently, they may not even bother after June 19th.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in many ways, though, for me, I was just surprised about people who I thought were like really massive soccer fans did not tune in for the other Bundesliga games and they were only tuning in for really kind of only started tuning in for the the Dortmund-Bayern game But, but I get it though in many ways because I mean those big games if it's I don't know Manchester Derby or Manchester United against Liverpool or Arsenal against Spurs I mean people gravitate to those those teams, those big derbies or those big big games uh, between some of the massive clubs, and that's uh, going to attract more of the the who I thought were passionate hardcore fans, but are more maybe see soccer casual type of fans. But what the Bundesliga has done, Kartik, in the last um, what two weeks, it's an incredible primer. So for any, I mean, for 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 myself included. So I've watched, yeah, I've been watching Bundesliga for years, but I've watched more Bundesliga in the last two weeks than I think I've ever ever done. Because this, you mean, and I've I've grown to appreciate it even more than before. I've grown to know the commentators more intimately in terms of their names and which ones are better than others and which styles I like and uh, learning more about their backgrounds too and doing some research and, and looking into that. But this is the perfect primer for ESPN Plus and for ESPN for next season is that I think everyone that walks away from this season once it does end, which will be over before you know it. By yeah. the time that the Premier League and La Liga is getting ready to kick off, uh, the Bundesliga will be uh, almost done probably, is is giving us a primer. So it's probably increased even among the hardcores, probably increased our knowledge base just a little bit more. Uh, and among the casuals, the ones that would tune in now and again. Um, maybe they're tuning in a little bit more. Maybe they know more about uh, uh, Hertha Berlin, or maybe they know more about uh, these the, the different players, that, and not just the American stars, but the different players throughout the clubs and the history. There's a lot to love. Kartik, from this past weekend of Bundesliga coverage, let's start here. Has there been any negatives at all? Is there anything that you can say you can criticize? Is, has there been anything that you kind of like, oh, I can't believe that just happened? TV coverage or um. on the pitch?
1: No, I, I I think actually this weekend was 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 better. These last two match days, actually the midweek and weekend match days, in terms of providing surprises. Uh, My observation, which most people didn't pick up, and I think I tried to say a dozen times and most people still didn't get it, was that that first match day was remarkably to form. I mean, I was stunned that after a two-month break, Schalke uh, Schalke and Eintracht uh, uh, continued to play as poorly as they were before the break. Mucin Gladbach, Leverkusen, and Dortmund continued to play as well as they did before the break, Uh, and and, uh, Bremen was as bad as they were before the break now what's happened in these last two matches is there are all kinds of random results right i mean the idea of Wolfsburg going to leverkusen and smashing them uh, is uh, and and gladbach drawing bremen some some really odd results so that's that's positive so now the randomness of results in the bundesliga that we've enjoyed for many many years and then suddenly this year the Bundesliga has been very top heavy. I'll be honest with you. It's what I've criticized the premier league for in the past, where there's this huge gap between sixth and seventh or fifth and sixth, uh, in the premier league. We now have in the Bundesliga. We've had in the Bundesliga this season, suddenly these two match days in front of closed doors, um, and, and all the other um, things going with, with this restart have mixed it up. There's more randomization. We have a relegation race suddenly with uh, Dusseldorf playing well. I mean, if Dusseldorf hadn't blown those two points late against uh, uh, against uh, Cologne, mm-hmm. uh, they'd be out of the drop zone or they'd be out of the playoff drop zone and, and Mainz would be in it. Things that we did not think were probably going to happen if the season had continued in mid-March. So that's really good. Uh, another thing I want to uh, put out there, Phil Bonney. He's now the new Martin Tyler in terms of, you know, presence because we're we're all watching the Bundesliga. I uh, want to give a lot of credit to uh, Ian Joy, who we obviously have a lot of time for on this show and, and, and one of our favorites. Uh, Ian Joy uh, told me months ago, I think it was, last, it was the beginning of this season, I think, uh, said, hey, you know, you're such a Bundesliga guy. Why aren't you uh, following this guy on Twitter? Why aren't you paying more attention to him? Uh, and uh, so I did, and he is kind of like... That, that Martin Tyler, John Champion type voice that we associate with the Premier League, associated with the Premier League uh, for the Bundesliga and I'm really grown in appreciation of him. And he has been phenomenal uh, since the restart, as have all the commentators, Bundesliga commentators. This is another thing. Yeah. Are really, really knowledgeable. Uh, the commentators and the co-commentators. Sometimes in the Premier League, we watch the international feed uh, when NBC doesn't give us uh, the the, the, uh, the Arlo White, uh, uh, Graham Wilson, Lee Dixon, their their native call, and we're thinking, ah, you know, this commentator's not, not as good as we thought. And then in the Champions League, it happens all the time, right, where we complain about the commentators. So uh, that's been another thing from the television perspective. The only negative for me has been that uh, anytime I try and favorably compare Favorably talking about Alfonso Davies, MLS product, who's been phenomenal for Bayern Munich, or any American player like Tyler Adams or uh, Weston McKinney, who scored yesterday for Schalke, Timmy Chandler, who's been really good for Eintracht most of the season. I get this pushback on Twitter from the people who I complained about earlier in the year when we were talking about Chelsea, the Pulisic police, so to speak, who are these (laughs) kind of like – You uh, American exceptional U.S. national team fans. Most of them are anti MLS. That's where the Davies thing comes in. He's also Canadian. Let's keep in mind. Um, Or even if they're pro MLS, they're like pro Pulisic, and um, so I, uh, I got all kinds of pushback I didn't mention Pulisic at all when I talked about how great Alphonso Davies was and I got tons of pushback about Pulisic is better and you know Davies is just on a better team and that's why you think he's so good and that might also be a Canadian American thing and then yeah. um also mentioned Gio Reyna. and my Gio Reyna saying I think Gio Reyna is ahead of uh Pulisic at this point when they were both at Dortmund at the same age was a comment not about player v player it was actually manager v manager saying hey I think Lucien Favre, is much better in terms of details and getting a guy to to, to, to position himself properly and read the game well uh, out of possession than than Tuchel, who I think is just like a manager who likes to attack recklessly. And then the recklessness we see in Pulisic's game, all the bad giveaways, all the problems he had at Chelsea early on, I think are more a reflection of, of Tuchel's management than and Tuchel, Tuchel's development style than anything else. But people, that nuance was missed on people. They thought I was taking a shot at Pulisic again and went crazy. So that's yeah. been the only negative for me. But everything else is... And positives.
0: Yeah, and, and in past episodes, Karthik, I, I can almost guarantee that, that even this episode, we'll, like, we'll get comments on social media saying, "Like, yeah, you guys are like uh, basically uh, criticizing Pulisic uh, uh, again." And it, it's well, not. What it, it's, is it
1: about this guy? I don't get it well, because I'm, I'm praising other
0: American players. Well, I, I think part of it is the uh, uh, inferiority complex, but part of it is 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 kind of the, is the U.S.-Canadian divide. If he was American, I mean, it would be not front-page news, but it would be a completely different uh, a viewpoint of, of of the player. And, and it is one of those things. I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, some of these are journalists, though, but a lot of these people don't realize that that, that they have blinders on. And, and Pulisic is a fantastic player, sh- has shown a lot of promise, uh, has had uh, injury problems, um, and it has, has been inconsistent. When he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. And... Uh, with uh, uh, Davies, it's it's consistently good. It's consistently incredible. It's the the speed Just the
1: way he even yeah. reads the game. You saw it in the uh, in the uh, Dortmund game, right? Yeah. The Bayern Dortmund game. The number of times he was in the right place at the right time. He does have the pace to close down, which is a gift. But his he, uh, his reading of the game is exceptional. And this is the thing, Chris, I think maybe there is that inferiority complex because imagine if he were American now, obviously MLS can confound their chest and say, we developed this guy. The thing is though, he's a Canadian. Um, if he was American, it would be front page news at this point. If you had this American breakthrough star who had come through the youth system in, their, in the country. So it's, um, I mean, I guess it's unfortunate. We were waiting for that breakthrough star at a huge club, uh, in, in, in global football. And it, can, it happened with a Canadian before an American. And that's, that's pretty mm-hmm. uh, shocking. Now, let's see if Davies continues this, but I, I see no indications that he lets up. In fact, I, I think you and I had an exchange on Facebook Uh, where we talked about, you talked about Bayern having no weaknesses. And I said, yeah, that's true. Um, And it's unfortunate. Those of you who don't know, every year around this time, or not this time, but it would be two months earlier normally, I get my hopes up that Dortmund can win the title and then uh, reality smacks me in the face when they play one another. Mm -hmm. And this time the margin was much thinner, right? It wasn't the 5-0 that we've seen in the past in in these these sorts of matches. Um, So the thing that was the difference, I think, for Bayern is Davies because they had Alaba playing left back. He wasn't really the best um, at, at covering when he would go forward. And, and then they had a real weakness at center back. Boateng is, is long in the tooth. We saw him make some mistakes in this game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Lucas Hernandez, I don't rate at, as a Bayern-level defender, uh, even though I know he's a, a World Cup winner for France, whatever. Um having Davies play left back has allowed Alaba to go to center back where he can focus on his defending. And he's been very good. He's been an upgrade over Hernandez there and uh, they have a better left back in Davies. So the hole that could have been exploited by a Sancho a Brandt and uh, a and Hazard who had a very good game uh, at times uh, on Tuesday has been uh, has been scuttled by Davies Davies introduction into the lineup for Bayern has made them arguably the best team in Europe that's how good this guy is and they were struggling before when when uh Kovac was still the manager people uh, point to the managerial switch but he coming in and then obviously uh Hansi Flick Flick also moved Muller back to his natural position those are the two things and one of them has a North American storyline the other question is, Chris, why hasn't MLS exploited the Davies thing? You know, if he was an American, you know what they'd be doing right now? We'd be getting it in our inbox every day from MLS media, right? Right. If yeah. this was an American. Um, so this is why, again, I, I mean, a lot of Canadians have told me through the years, I've talked about the the natural kind of governance issues with cross-border leagues. And that's my experience from working the NASL. That was very difficult. And I think Canada should have their own. Uh, football system, and they can look after their own that way. Some Canadian journalists have come back at me and said, it's actually more than that. They agree with me on that, but the, we will never be properly promoted and properly um, talked about if our teams are tied to U.S. leagues. And I've always thought, no, no, no. When I worked at the NASL, I always talked about Montreal and Edmonton. I always promoted Ottawa. Uh, but uh, this is a clear case of it. I mean, if this were a, an American player, MLS, rightly, would be saying, "Hey, you know, we developed this guy. Hey, New York Times. Hey, L.A. Uh, uh, Chicago Tribune, etc." Right. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, it's a Canadian guy.
0: Yeah, it, it is quite different. I mean, that that cross border that that border makes a huge difference. I mean, if it was uh, the United States uh, of North America and you had uh, Canada uh, as part of the United States, it'd be a completely different story. But, but going back to uh, something else you said a minute ago, Kartik, and that was about uh, Phil Barney, uh, listeners, if, if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the podcast that uh, Nate Abrea did, spent about 45 minutes to an hour uh, interviewing Phil Barney, uh, learning his backstory, which is really interesting. And Phil like, loves to talk. I mean, so it's a great uh, in-depth uh, interview, <clears throat> getting to know the personality a little bit better of Phil Barney. <clears throat> I'd recommend that highly. But the other person I've really tapped into these last few weeks, Kartik, and 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 really grown to uh, appreciate even more is one of the co-commentators, and that's uh, Thomas Broich. And yeah. um, this is somebody to, to me whenever whenever I hear him speak and analyze the games, he reminds me a lot of Rafa Honigstein, someone who's very articulate, some somebody who's very intelligent, somebody who's able to. Uh, talk about in detail about tactics or players or history or backstory Um, i mean there's so many great co-commentators and commentators uh from this league we could probably spend the next 20 minutes talking about them all but um but thomas has stood out for me as as phil has stood out for you
1: yeah i would also mention that um that Rafa Honigstein, you mentioned him, him not him now being property of the athletic and not on ESPN FC has really opened this door for Don Hutchinson, who uh, I think a lot of player people remember as a Premier League midfielder uh, yep. to to kind of become this this resident expert on German football uh, at ESPN. So that's uh, another kind of knock-on effect of, of the Athletic and everything we're going to talk about the Athletic in a little bit also uh, in relation to MLS. But uh, I, I keep an eye on Don Hutchinson. I think he's really uh, elevated himself, uh, even before the COVID break, but especially now that the Bundesliga is the only game in town.
0: So, Karthik, uh, we're uh, uh, 35 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't talked about the big topic that everyone's been talking about. And that is the artificial crowd noise. And this was something, if we go back into the tapes from just about, what, three months ago, when we were having games, Europa League games, uh, being played behind closed doors. We had uh, Liga Ameki's games being played behind closed doors. And I think both of you and I agreed that, you I mean, while it was interesting listening to the players and the coaches, um, you needed to have some sound piped in somehow. Little did I know that the Bundesliga would take it to, I mean, the top level. This is even better than what I could have imagined. I know a lot of listeners are against it. But personally, to me, it adds so much more, uh, better atmosphere. It adds the excitement levels. But the way that the Bundesliga has been able to do this, and it, and it is the Bundesliga, what they're doing is offering a audio feed to broadcasters worldwide. They can pick and choose between, okay, do you want to take the... Uh, commentary, and then just the stadium sounds, or do you want the commentary with the audio enhanced uh, artificial crowd noise? And and Fox, um, and I think a few others around the world did. The majority of them are still going with just the the solo commentary or the commentary and the 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 real noise from the stadium. But I, oh my gosh, the Bundesliga have done such an incredible job. Everything from, I mean, the Bayern Dortmund game is a great example. I mean, anytime that the ball went back to Manuel Neuer, you had uh, the artificial crowd noise with whistles and kind of boos. Uh, whenever Bayern had had possession, you'd get the whistles and boos a little bit. And, and as the ball went back to Dortmund, you mean, the, the crowd noise would go up a little bit. I mean, whoever's... Actually, uh, doing this in real time is is a legend. I mean, absolutely fantastic job that they've done, and it and it helps, it, it helps it helps accentuate and enhance the actual TV broadcast. I I love it.
1: Yeah, I I really enjoyed it too. To be honest with you, it gave me a more comfortable feeling, a more natural feeling watching these matches, uh, because uh, I, I think. It, the listening to uh, uh, the players' emotions and all of that—that's that's kind of neat in a way. Uh, and as a one-off or a two-off, and, and I've been at um, many matches here in the in the US that I've worked at. You might as well be behind closed doors, right? Cause you've had a couple hundred fans and you can hear all that. And there's certain thrill to that. But when you get to bigger matches, you want the cro- crowd noise. And I think for the, for the, uh, Derek classicker, it was, it was really well done. And it gave me, as I said, a comfortable feeling and the edge of my seat feeling. And I, I think i mentioned this earlier and people who follow me on twitter have known this for years i kind of i uh, have a fondness for borussia dortmund so i'm on the edge of my seat and i feel i'm feeling more um alive, if you will, and more encouraged because they are piping that noise in. So thank you to Fox for picking up that feed, first of all. Yep. But then also, I think it enhanced my viewing experience. Now, for some people, it might be the opposite. People who are less invested or whatever. They they, they, they liked what they heard with the uh, lack of uh, 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 crowd noise the first week back, or they think it's on inauthentic. But I loved it. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, and it gave me more emotion in that match. I mean, that match was was very emotional for me as, as it stands, as I think people who follow me on social media know. I was very unhappy, very upset about it. But um, that was a really good touch from the Bundesliga. And every little thing – this is something um, maybe our listeners and, and, and general soccer fans in the country are learning if they haven't followed the Bundesliga closely. Every little thing the Bundesliga does in, in, in terms of television production and, and, and these little kind of detail-oriented stuff um, – is really good compared to other leagues. They, they get things right, and they, they very rarely blow it. So this is another nice touch and another template for the Premier League, for La Liga, for Serie A, if they ever restart, which I doubt. But um, uh, for those other leagues.
0: Yeah, the other game too, I mean, on Sunday morning was the uh, Cologne uh, Dusseldorf game and the having the crowd noise, the artificial crowd noise for the comeback and and the late equalizer and just the in combination with the commentary too. It's it's not replacing the commentary by any means, but the commentary plus the artificial crowd noise and just the the craziness of, of the fans celebrating, just hearing that noise was perfect. It really added to to the emotions of watching the game and um yeah, I I just can't believe how good of a job they've done. The the other thing I like about it too, Kartik, is that it's very anonymous. So when it started on Sunday morning, which is the first time I heard it, which was the the Mines um, RB Leipzig game, I was thinking, okay, are the, is it going to be German chants? Is it going to be, you know, I don't know. Here we go, Mines. Here we go. Um, but it's always anonymous. It, you you mean these, which just makes it easier to to produce that sound. But it's it's yeah. never right to that club where they are playing those songs but 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 even in some of the games too I think it might have, might have been the mines Leipzig game you were hearing cowbells so I don't know if like for yeah. example the mines stadium usually if those fans usually kind of uh, bang on the cowbells a little bit so maybe it is customized maybe but n- yeah. not in words but in sounds but um yeah the attention to detail. Is incredible. The, the other thing, Karthik, in that Joklassiker uh, too, which uh, the Bundesliga, I think, was the first time to, to launch that, is as the game was going on, you had a graphic in the top left-hand corner of the screen, which was powered by AWS, um, Amazon Web Services. Oh, yeah,
1: those, that's fantastic. Yeah.
0: How about you explain uh, what it was?
1: So so basically you, you start with the, the first the starting eleven and then AWS has an analytics uh uh th- thing that overlays that moves the players uh the, the player uh number and, and, and the box they're in or the circle they're in. It's a box actually in, in this graphic. So their average position at that point in the match, so you could see when, um, and this is for me, someone who's like a, a tactics geek, uh, really um, important to see when guys were, were bunching up on the pitch, uh, w- w- when the midfield, when the shape wasn't right, and what the average position was of each player, uh, and, and when the strikers weren't properly separated, or teams that are playing like Dortmund plays a 3-4-3, if there was some sort of uh, issue with the shape, which is uh, just another tool for us tactics geeks. You know, we used to uh, we used to have to over. A kind of opta real time uh, on our computers or on our phones. What was going on on the screen uh, to to get that sort of uh, level of detail? And now the Bundesliga and and AWS and Amazon World Services have web services. Excuse me. Have uh, have put together this really kind of cool uh, thing, which maybe they perfected over this two months of, of the coronavirus break and this is something we will see in other leagues going forward, which enhances your TV viewing experience because formations are not static. This is the thing about this sport which is a little different than like you put a formation in American football and that's that's the formation, right? right. Although those formations change from play to play. Yeah, so, because um, they line up that way. The, the formation are very static so i've gotten in the last few years into saying yeah they're playing a three five two but it really plays like a, f- a four four one one at times and trying to make these explanations so yeah it's a four four three it's a four three three but it's really a, a four four three two one and, and types things like that this graphic actually um visualizes that and i think that's yeah. so important also for the commentators
0: Absolutely, because it's it's a real time uh, showing you their average position, and uh, in some games, games it might be one, uh, This isn't brand new, but in some games, we might look at it and go, eh, "There's nothing much there to add." But in, in in other games, it actually can be quite telling in terms of if uh, if it looks like the, the team is pushing up a lot or is, is defending defending high up the pitch, uh, so on and so forth. Kartik, in terms of the the Bundesliga, I think I asked you the question, like, is was there anything negative from the coverage? Um, and I don't think there was. The, the only thing I would say is that sometimes with the crowd noise, uh, I guess uh, either the Fox or the Bundesliga forgot to switch it on. Because for some games, there'd be no crowd noise for the first like 10 minutes of the match, and then all of a sudden the crowd noise would go on. Um, that's and and some games had a, had had the noise, some games didn't. So it is kind of at random. But um, but overall, the actual football, I've I mean, it seems to be getting more physical. Uh, maybe that was just the Düsseldorf Schalke game, uh, but it seems to be. I mean, the players seem to be fitter. That the, the level of football is getting better week after week, and, and we've had some good comebacks. We've had some really close games. Week one from the restart was a little bit more open ended, one sided. Uh, week two was a lot of um, goals flying in, but but uh, a lot of com- late comebacks, a lot more excitement. All right, Kartik, speaking of excitement, let's move on to TV streaming news, and uh, NWSL is back.
1: Yeah, NWSL is back. Uh, they're going to start this uh, one-month tournament in Utah Uh on June 27th, uh, CBS all access will carry all games from the tournament and CBS will carry, uh, a match on the opening day, uh, which is a Saturday, June 27th and the final on July 26th. Uh, right now there were no matches scheduled for CBS sports network. though I'm advised by a source that that could change and we could have additional games on CBS over the air. Very exciting for NWSL that they're getting two matches on CBS over the air, uh, which is fantastic on network television for them. Um, However, maybe that's what is prompting this early restart. Uh, June 27th, will make them the first uh, U.S. league in what we would consider a major team sport uh, to return. And uh, they're going to do this in a a self-contained, neutral site venue uh, in Utah. Uh, It's not really neutral site. I guess there is a team from there, the the Utah Royals. But uh, it will be not the NWSL season. As originally scheduled, but a tournament, and this is similar to what MLS is planning in Florida.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely good news that it's coming back. Um, in not so good news, uh, Liga MX, uh, the Mexican League, has cancelled the 2020 Clausura season uh, due to the coronavirus, and will be looking to uh, start up the the next season. I think was a August or, or probably August, uh, most likely to to start it up there. Uh, as far as the other leagues go, the Portuguese Premier Premier League is coming back June third. Uh we've already mentioned La Liga. Uh the Turkish Super League is coming back June twelfth. And um yeah, and then I think we've mentioned all the other leagues in terms of their return dates. Uh actually except for one, and that's Major League Soccer, and that's uh July uh, is the latest date. It's still T B D because um going back Kartik, I mean a few months ago, a few months ago, you and I were talking on a podcast about how right now is the perfect time for Major League Soccer to be talking about um, the next right cycle in terms of TV. Everything was aligned perfectly in terms of uh, this year being the 25th uh, anniversary year. Um, all of a sudden, there was a lot of interest from a lot of streaming platforms, uh, including DAZN. Um, and and others. and There was also uh Turner was interested. BR Live was interested, um, as well as the TV sides. Then you had the increase in number of um, uh, MLS uh, teams throughout the country. The expansion. Everything was looking positive. Then you had two. You had you knew that this season, uh, later this summer, um, MLS was going to be having some of the games on ABC as part of double headers with uh, Euro twenty twenty. Um, Ticket revenue in terms of some of these uh, attendances for games. Atlanta United, 50,000 fans. Seattle, 50,000 fans. That was huge. Then you had the crossover integration with Liga MX. You had the – this summer would have been the uh, All-Star game. You had the Campiones Cup. You had the Leagues Cup. Uh, And then you had uh, an increase of interest in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League and some MLS teams uh, being uh, up against uh, Liga MX teams everything was positive. And now from, from three months ago to now, Kartik, I mean, the the, the, the Euro 2020 has been cancelled, So, and then there's no games on ABC, uh, unless they have some of these uh, games in Orlando on ABC. But the All-Star game's gone. Even mean, Cup is gone. League's Cup is gone. So the Liga Max is gone. It, 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 and also with the ticket revenue, <clears throat> I mean, when is the next time that you can imagine... Atlanta United playing in front of a stadium of full capacity, say 50,000 fans, when is that going to happen? What's your prediction on that?
1: Well, uh, that's not going to happen until next season at the earliest. I I think uh, this is kind of a two-tiered thing. I think in terms of the general kind of uh, macro picture in terms of MLS's... Kind of pursuit of uh, casual sports fans and of uh, global football fans. Uh, this has been really unfortunate timing. This has gone very, very poorly for them, and this has hurt them because we're talking about a situation now where they have not gotten those live doubleheader games on ABC with the Euro lead in. They have not gotten. They've lost out on all this ticket revenue. The cross integration with Liga MX, as you mentioned, has been uh, ha- has been shelved for this season, even though there have been all these rumors. We'll get to that in. a minute about uh, some sort of integration within the leagues uh, and notes and they don't have any tv revenue right or v- virtually none compared to other top leagues now what they have done is in the domestic space they've been able to consolidate their position of power because the other domestic players usl and nwsl uh, professional players have been hurting uh, just as much uh, if not more more in the case of usl and then uh u.s soccer uh ran into uh a wall now we know and you know this especially well chris uh, with your or... Sure with uh, your experience in youth soccer uh, with your daughter, et cetera, that uh, the the development academy was already had hit a wall uh, Mm -hmm. for U.S. soccer. But sunsetting it early and allowing MLS to consolidate their position and take in a bunch of the independent clubs, uh, tying those independent clubs who potentially could have been the rivals for MLS academies uh, into their academy structure uh, consolidates their position. And I think there's some weakness in USL and in NWSL. We'll see if NWSL able to offset it with this tournament that will allow MLS to further consolidate their hold on the domestic game in the country, however, in terms of their bigger plans which include expansion right because consolidating your soccer in the soccer space which is relatively small in this country isn't going to help you sell uh franchises for 300 or 400 million or whatever they were planning uh or even get those teams in st louis and charlotte etc launched on time that have already been announced uh, sacramento is an existing uh infrastructure they can move right in i think but the other two uh, i would have some concerns if they could start on time mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I think it's been a net negative I would agree with you
0: yeah but but, but even future expansion beyond st. Louis and beyond say Sa- Sacramento yeah
1: there's no there, there isn't the kind of money now for people to spend on that and they're not they don't have the showcase that they would have had so I think it's I think this might um, MLS has shown in spite of Garber time and again saying oh we're stopping at 16 we're stopping at 20 we're stopping at 24 he keeps uh, raising the ante in terms of a number of number of teams in the league I think we might have a freeze for for a few years now, yeah. because there just won't be um, the um, they just won't be the ability to sell a, a team for the amount they want. And MLS is very conscious of what these sale prices are, right? So they don't want, and this isn't going to be an issue for USL, which I know we're not talking about. Also, but USL likes to claim certain fees and and uh, price points for for clubs, which. May or may not be true. I think it's the same thing with MLS. I mean, they say, oh, it's uh, X amount of dollars, but a lot of that includes other stuff. Um, they're not going to be able to hit that price point for a while is what I'm thinking. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that this is uh, – they're going to have to sit and kind of consolidate and and figure out how – this consolidation of their position domestically can benefit them five years down the road to maybe make those big moves that they thought they were going to be making in 2021, 2022, but instead we'll be making around the time the world cup is hosted again in the U S in 2026. So, uh, they, I think that they are racking their brains with this and this goes to, um, uh, a story, right, Chris, that we, uh, yeah, uh, we have this week, which is of course, uh, uh the athletic, um, had a story about Garber claiming MLS hired a firm to investigate uh, uh, the uh, uh, investigate leaks. And this includes actually some of these leaks, to that The Athletic have reported themselves. And I mentioned the Liga Emeki's integration. That was one of the things that MLS was freaked out about that getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of a kind of a long term vision. And once it got out, it was out it was especially with nothing else going on chris it was all over twitter for days and similar stories so uh well, have uh, hired well it's yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
0: It's, fun, it's funny too cuz the the uh the story about the leak was leaked <laughs> to the athletic also right. so right. you know what i mean uh, garba writes a, a memo and uh, provides it to all of the clubs within Major league soccer saying okay um the, the, there's an issue. The issue is that information has been le- leaking to the press. Uh, you need to m- make sure you do what you can do to, to stop this. Otherwise, there will be disciplinary action, i.e. getting fired. Um, and that <laughs> that memo was leaked also. So so on top of that, but but to, but to me, Kartik I mean, and so a lot and, of. Uh, and, and
1: another go ahead. thing, I, I wanted to mention that, that on this Orlando tournament, um, they, there was uh, I, I, there was some unhappiness uh, that got expressed to me that I had gotten aspects of the story that uh, weren't out there. Although I think really, got between Steve Goff and the Athletic, they had covered it, and I said, look, when you're talking to um, officials in, at, at Visit Orlando and, and, and ex, uh, Experience Kissimmee, and you're talking to political officials, somehow it's going to leak. And, and, and some of that got back to me. So they can't operate in a vacuum. In the world they're in, and expect wow. things not to leak. So.
0: Well, that's the, that's the thing is is that they're used to operating within a vacuum in a in the United States, where very much, I mean, most of the MLS reporters, I mean, a lot of them write for MLSsoccer.com. Soccer dot com. So you have to say the right things, do the right things. There's very little, little independent uh, coverage of MLS. Um, uh, outside of some of the, the national newspapers. And, and and even then, there's not a lot there. So The Athletic is one of the few organizations that uh, has the payroll to be able to pay independent writers to write independent stories about what's going on. And, um, and, and Garbo is quite upset about about that being leaked to The Athletic. To, to me, though, Karthik, it does paint a picture. It paints a picture of panic. It paints a picture of high pressure. It paints a picture of... There's a lot of things up in the air right now. Even even with the Ola- Orlando tournaments that we've been talking about for the last two or three podcasts on this, that still hasn't been completely firmed up. And you've got NBA right. that will is also trying to get in there too. So it's a race against time. At the same time, though, Kartik is um, the CBA. So the the players' union and Major League Soccer agreed on a CBA collective bargaining agreement a few months ago. Uh, and because of the coronavirus so when that happened that hasn't been ratified that has not been completely 100% uh, signed all the way so that's another issue too where garba i think in today's hey. media is, is is going is said okay i'm going to give 72 hours to to the players union to sit down with them and figure out haggle out all the all the terms so we can we can agree to something so that we can move forward with this Orlando tournament because that, that that's still up in the air
1: yeah, and I want to point out for those who may have forgotten this that uh, the last time uh, there was a lot of talk that the players had caved in twenty fifteen, the previous CBA on the CBA, uh, but when it went for ratification, there were six player reps. There were only twenty teams in Orlando in uh, in the league then. Uh, there. Six player reps voted no. I know a few of them actually, and, uh, and and there was some hedging among those that voted yes. It was a 14 to six vote. But so the players players union, certain club representatives have not been in unanimity necessarily with the strategy of uh, the, the the players union leadership in the past. This now makes it higher stakes because they're being asked for pay cuts. They're asked. Being asked to risk their health and safety, right, in in, in a uh, tournament in the middle of coronavirus, albeit in kind of closed doors tournament. And I I will mention to you that there is one agency in particular that has a lot of control over the players union and players who are represented by other agents don't necessarily uh, see see the same thing in terms of uh, what they want from a collective bargaining agreement. So uh, the the idea that this could be hammered out quickly and the Orlando tournament will be announced, maybe it happens, Uh, but I – I, I tend to think it's more complicated, and that's why we have not seen an announcement. Is uh, there are some cert- certain elements within that players' union? that are holding firm. And this, uh, I am very surprised we didn't see this in NWSL, by the way. I was expecting it. Uh, I had been telling people privately the same thing was going to happen. I've been talking to people privately and saying this was going to happen in both places, and it has happened in MLS, whereas NWSL was able to go forward. And I've heard nothing about players saying they're not going to go, et cetera, which is quite surprising. When MLS announces this, Chris, there will be somebody like Troy Deeney, like Danny Rose, who says, "You know what? I don't know if I want to do this." So that's another thing they're going to grapple with, and then that will leak, and they'll be upset again.
0: Yeah, but 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 I think it it will, it will still move forward though. So the ball will be rolling by that point. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and if yeah, players
0: say like, yeah. "Hey, I'm not comfortable with this," then you mean hopefully there's an opportunity for them to to bow out. Um, whether they get paid or not, that's a whole other story. But but with this though, Kartik, I mean MLS Commissioner Don Garber. Has this is has been through a lot uh, in his role as commissioner of Major League Soccer, and this is I would say his number one most difficult challenge, because you have you're getting attacked from all sides. So from the bottom end, as far as talking about uh, taking over a lot of um, these development academy teams, yeah. So from the lower end, from youth soccer. Um, there's more overhead now you have all, all these clubs at the same time too in terms of uh, parents and uh, clubs it's going to be more challenging for them to sign players and for, for parents to pay thousands of dollars or, uh, or a little bit less in some areas I mean some of the academies are probably there wouldn't be a, a fee for but uh, this there's the less likelihood that parents will want their children to be traveling around the United States playing games in, in, in all sorts of hot spots in different areas so that, that's yeah. on the, that's on the bottom end. On the, on the top end, the attendance, Cardiff. That's that is a huge issue because um, you look at, say, I asked you before about Atlanta United. When will the next time they, they'll be able to get fifty thousand fans in the stadium? And I think you said next year, but it could it could take a couple of years. It could be that uh, once things are opened up and. Oh, uh, well, I said at
1: the earliest next year. By the way, at the earliest, could be three, yeah, or four years.
0: So, so, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, though. Too is the attendance and gate revenue has been the main driver of revenue for Major League Soccer, other than expansion fees. And we, we've talked about how expansion fees could be in jeopardy in the future, as far as future ones. So, but the reality, we go back to the TV revenue, and it's, it's the TV revenue more than anything that is going to make or break Major League Soccer. Because you look at how much money they're bringing in currently into the current deal. And it's uh, approximately $90 million a year. Now you look at the Bundesliga, just as one example of a a major league, but not, not the top league, but a major league. Within Germany, Germany alone, the Bundesliga brings in over a billion dollars in revenue. So there's a huge gap between between the two sides. And I think it's this TV deal, this next TV deal, which doesn't come up until 2022, is going to be massive. And my, I'm thinking, Kartik, is that I wouldn't be surprised if Major League Soccer has been sitting down trying to figure out: is there a way we can do this this deal, end this deal early, with with kind of a guarantee from ESPN and, and Fox, kind of a long term relationship, this extend this from from 2022. All the way through to 2026 they start trying to figure out if we can do a deal now in order to to bring that money in now have that money come, coming in, in, in and and uh you mean bump up that the the actual uh the the value of those rights i wouldn't be surprised if those discussions are being uh, being had or at least have been had with some other players trying to figure out is a way that we can figure out do this deal early and, and get more revenue
1: but, but, there's kind of a acknowledgement. Oh, sorry. Go now,
0: ahead. I was just going to say, but but the, the, the most important thing is to get back and actually playing games, which is why that pressures on the Orlando tournament to make that happen. Because um, without that tournament happening, you I mean, or well, without games being played, it, effectively MLS is invisible. MLS ceases to exist. So games need to happen. Orlando needs to happen. Uh, the sooner, the better. Um, just to give. MLS, uh, an opportunity, some leverage to talk about. Okay, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about future TV deals. What can we do today to to sign a long term agreement, uh, to be a long term partner, which then excludes the DAZNs, which DAZNs in trouble too, because DAZN, uh, the the owner, the billionaire that owns has the majority stake in Zone is looking at possibly selling the company or looking for uh, more investment. So they're scrambling. DAZN. I mean, if things keep on heading the way they're heading, that they could be out of business in the near future. But you do have YouTubes. You do have your Amazons. You do have these other players. But they're being impacted too. But, um, yeah, I think now is really much a make-or-break um, time for Major League Soccer. And a lot of it is, is what happens in Orlando. That This has to happen.
1: Yeah, I think uh – In terms of the youth soccer space, you mentioned that. I actually talked to a number of people who tell me that that's a defensive move also because of what you mentioned, travel. Parents uh, do not want their kids traveling all over the place. And MLS had launched a separate academy league without uh, kind of filling in the the gaps on the map with independent clubs. They would have been in that position. And that's a COVID reaction. So that was – uh, when I said, "Well, that's a that's a that's a move of strength," people told me, "No, it's actually a move of weakness. It's it, they preempted the weakness." But it's a defensive move because parents, like yourself, Chris, don't want their kids tra- getting on a bus in Atlanta and going uh, all the way to, to, to Washington, D.C. or to Nashville, right? They want mm-hmm. clubs – Atlanta might be a bad example because they didn't really fill in the map there. But in Florida, let's say, uh, Orlando uh, and, and uh, Miami-Fort Lauderdale, there are now tons of uh, independent clubs that have filled out the MLS uh, map. So the Orlando uh, Academy kids will never have to go to Atlanta. So they'll never have to leave the state. That's why they did it. So uh, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, what appeared, and they sold as a move of strength, and I thought was a move of strength, I then got multiple sources pushing back saying, hey, yeah, it probably long term will work out for them, but they had to do it because of this. So yeah, yeah we you're, you're on, on the money on that.
0: Yeah, we haven't actually talked about much about that either, though, too. But I, I saw it more of as a power play for MLS to establish themselves as an even more powerful body within the United States, uh, as opposed yeah, to U.S. The, the U.S. Soccer Federation, and and you go back to some. I mean, some's the the Soccer United Marketing. It's the the marketing arm of Major League Soccer that does a lot of deals with uh, U.S. Soccer uh, and and uh, the Mexican Federation too. And this week you had the, one of the representatives from the FMF in Mexico saying that they have no interest in playing uh, Mexican friendlies in the United States uh, in the near future. And the reason why, and these are events that are hosted and run by Soccer United Marketing is because they can't guarantee that there'll be any fans in the stadium. And then the only reason that Mexico is playing these friendlies in the United States far greater, far, far, far more than in Mexico is because of the money. So Soccer United Marketing is going to get oh, that's a huge. Hit, hit, yeah. hit on that that's side, too. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to see any positives in, in any of this, though, I mean, th- this is having dramatic financial impacts across all leagues and confederations, uh, even in the Caribbean and, and CONCACAF. There's been talks about some of the uh, the country's national uh, teams not having enough money to go, to go ahead and even compete in the next World Cup qualifying. And at the end of the day, I mean, for me personally... I want to see Major League Soccer survive. I want to see it continue to grow, um, as as with uh, I mean, NISA, USL. You I mean all the different leagues. Uh, it's important, and, and youth soccer too. It's important that um, organizations are available for players to to play and for fans to go watch games. Um, but we're at jeopardy here of the whole thing really, kind of the foundation breaking. So. It is uh, troubling times, um, and hopefully something will change soon. Got to one more news item before we move on to TV ratings, and that's uh, Newcastle United. Uh, some doubts there.
1: Yeah, so uh, obviously we've uh, we've talked a lot about Be Out Q on this podcast, and the Newcastle takeover is now in serious doubt. As the WTO rules that the pirated TV channel is in fact Saudi, something we do, right? We we, uh, have known all along. But this this puts uh, uh, that in serious doubt. There's also um, uh, an issue obviously of Sheffield United's ownership uh, that is kind of tangentially related to this. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as well.
0: Yeah, so it could be BN Sports, which is the troublemaker here. Which was oh, I, I don't blame them; they were they were the ones that have been uh, on this huge campaign in the last uh, twelve twelve to eighteen months, uh, trying to publicise and trying to let people know that BLQ, uh, which was in the beginning taking uh, BN Sports's uh, TV feeds from Qatar. Qatar and um, pir- pirating them and show- b- making them available worldwide so anyone could watch them, undermining b in Sports, undermining, undermining uh, Qatar. And it was really a Middle East and uh, kind of a battle, a war in, in some ways um, in the Middle East. <clears throat> but um, here we go. It- now it goes to Newcastle. So, uh, yeah, and the Premier League is in a very difficult position in terms of trying to figure out how to uh, go uh, get through this one uh, unscathed. Next up is TV ratings, and we won't go into a lot of detail. We will have all of the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com. But looking at week two of the Bundesliga compared to week one, uh, week two dropped um, on the English language side by approximately about 17%. Um, in some ways, though, too, the, the, these numbers do not include the uh, the Classica from Tuesday, so we'll get those numbers soon, probably uh, Thursday, and we'll publish those on WorldSoccerTalk.com, too. But uh, overall, um, the biggest number of, on the English-language side was uh, Bayern Munich against Frankfurt. God, Frankfurt's horrible. Uh, on FS1 on Saturday uh, from twelve thirty to two thirty, and that was uh, three hundred three thousand uh, viewers for that one. So, so so positives there. Just I was still thinking uh, before uh, two weeks ago that these numbers would be much greater. That fans, sports fans, and and soccer fans would be craving uh, sports a lot more, and would be these these numbers would be much greater than what they are, and and they are so much greater than what they were before, but. Uh, uh, times have changed. All right, listener mailbag. First up is Bill Reese. Bill says, I wanted to voice my support for Fox's use of canned noise cr- uh in the, in the Bundesliga games this past weekend. Obviously, this is not uh, football as it's meant to be, but nothing in this pandemic is as it's meant to be. The return of some live sports is a welcome distraction from the awful news that permeates all aspects of our daily lives. The silence in the first round of Bundesliga games served only as a re- reminder that while sports were back, everything was still wrong. I found the piped-in noise to be comforting... For a few moments, I almost felt like it was a regular Sunday morning of German football. I know it wasn't, but I was more than willing to suspend my disbelief. I hope Fox continues it, and I hope ESPN Plus is paying close attention to the fans' reaction to these audio effects. And I completely agree 100% there with Bill. Some some great uh, great feedback. Next up is Rico Richardson uh, to uh, talking about the last podcast. Um, to reflect on the time of the Bundesliga uh, and the time that they had uh, on Fox, you kind of have to blame the league too. They didn't pitch in with a lot of effort to market their league in the US, even with Americans over that time. And, and that's something I, I completely disagree with 100%. Um, just from being a journalist and um, talking to the Bundesliga, um, receiving press releases and information from the Bundesliga on a weekly basis and having opportunities for interviews and learning more about what they're doing on the marketing side and the advertising side. They have done more than any other league, other than Major League Soccer, they have done more than any other league in the United States to promote themselves. So we saw this this past weekend too, with um, they've had they have their commercials, which is an absolutely fantastic commercial where it talks about football as it's meant to be. And it really sums up the passion and and what makes the Bundesliga different. Um, And that's something, that's just one example of, of, I mean, they have uh, weekly newsletters with tons of interviews and information that goes out to the press. Uh, They've done advertising campaigns. Um, I remember back in 2015, 2016, they were uh, doing advertising, um, not just on Fox, but uh, even in uh, websites and and other websites uh, of promoting the Bundesliga So I disagree there too with with Rico in terms of everything that they've done. JP, okay, JP <laughs> says on the last episode, come on, you can't rail against Fox for almost the entire podcast for things like using the world feed, lack of promotion, no halftime or post-game analysis, and inconsistent channels, FS1 or FS2, and in the same breath proclaim how ESPN is going to treat them so much better. If you look at any of the properties on ESPN Plus, there is the following: World feed. No halftime or post-game analysis. Sometimes a half t- halftime promo or end-of-match recap from the world feed is overtaken by commercials. So let me just interject there, just for a split second. And and that's the thing that too with ESPN Plus, even though they are basic uh, world feed that we do get, we do get halftime highlights of the goals. So if you're watching the Bundesliga. And you miss the first half for whatever reason, and you miss some of the action or goals, you will not see that at a halftime, you will not see that at a post-match. But with the, the bare minimum on ESPN+, uh, you will see that at halftime, you will see that post-match, you will see the goals there. Um, let me go ahead and continue. In the case of Serie A, where there is at least one match on television, the time slot isn't consistent can be 6 a.m. on a Saturday one week and then uh, noon Eastern on the Sunday the next and so on. Then there's the rotating channel. But most often um, the game is on ESPN News, which is carried at a lower rate than ESPN or ESPN 2. When on TV, uh, there is no bumper programming. Uh, to, to speak of, match coverage 10 minutes before kickoff begins after whatever show preceded it. As for promotion, minimal to non-existent. As a Serie a fan, you'd think I'd, I'd always know what the match of the week is. But numerous times I'm on ESPN Plus looking for a particular match. Then I, feel, I finally realize I can't find it because it must be on television. My viewing on ESPN Plus is 95% Serie a with some Eredivisie. Uh, However, the email notifications I received weekly for things to watch always highlighted college sports and UFC first. When it finally gets to soccer, it's usually during a week, a weekend with FA Cup or League Cup matches, Serie A is an afterthought. With the Bundesliga joining and only getting four matches on television for the entire season, what makes you think that ESPN is going to promote it any better than Fox did for those issues that, uh, with the lack of promotions and random schedule for pregame coverage, Fox's coverage of the Bundesliga will have done more to gain uh, awareness than ESPN will? And uh, I'll, I'll pause there. I, so so the, the one thing I, in, in speaking with the Bundesliga and speaking to some of my sources, there was discussion of having the Bundesliga and ESPN work together on a 30 for 30 type of programming. It might not be a 30 for 30 documentary, um, but they have focused. They, they've said publicly, they've said that they want to go ahead and talk more about the stories. Talk about more of the the players and and what makes the Bundesliga special. And that and that's something that we haven't gotten from Fox. Um, oftentimes, if it is any of those types of promos, uh, it's been the Bundesliga that's providing that that content. So a thirty for thirty is just one example of something that ESPN could do that could really highlight um, the story of the Bundesliga, which is a really fascinating story. But in terms of e- uh, Serie A. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's not the most popular league, but um, there are things that can that could be improved about the way that ESPN is broadcasting this area. And uh, a lot of it comes down to communication. So, uh, good points there, JP. All right. Next up is Jared.
1: Uh, I would point out one thing. I would point out one thing real. Quickly, Chris, is that I agree with JP on his points about ESPN Plus and uh, them often mailing it in in coverage. However, more recently, and we were seeing this trend, and I was actually covering it before coronavirus struck. There had been more halftime shows, post game shows, integrating the ESPN FC crew and more kind of uh, 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 native commentaries with uh, uh, with, with uh, Mark Donaldson and Matteo Benetti uh, on. Big matches from Serie A and also FA Cup, League Cup type matches. So I think they were beginning to move in the other direction. Uh, Your criticism is well taken for the first uh, two years of ESPN Plus. But I think we began to see this change in February of 2020. And then in March of 2020, everything stopped. So I'm not sure where they pick up if they revert or, uh, after this, because obviously everybody's financially hurting, including uh, Disney and ESPN, uh, or if they continue that, that, that progression, which would put them in a different territory than where Fox has left the Bundesliga.
0: That's a good point, Kartik, too, because where will Serie a be after uh, ESPN starts showing ESPN Plus? Will Serie a, uh, get knocked down in the totem pole and have less uh, time and attention? Or will there be some crossover between the Bundesliga and, and Serie A in terms of trying to up the, 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 the just not, not only the quantity, but also the quality of of, of coverage and uh, giving more love to the Serie A than what they have done in the past before? I mean, this whole coronavirus has screwed everything up. But I, I, there was talk about um, sending, I think, uh, some of the commentators from ESPN to some of the games at the end of the season for Serie A. Uh, because I mean, remember, right before the coronavirus hit, Serie A was was the league that had the best title race. It was completely wide open. It was like, okay, Inter yeah. is playing really well. Juventus, you I mean? It and uh, Atalanta looked looked really good. It was the talking point. Lazio, yeah, Lazio. It was it was it was the talking point of uh, of world soccer. That the focus was, and actually, ESPN FC was talking a lot more about you I mean Inter, especially. Um, and, and that went out the window, so everything changed. Jared says, uh, Fox is going to all live bowling in primetime over the air network on both June 6th and June 13th. Fox putting bowling over Bundesliga and probably over MLS if it was back. Dave Roberts says, uh, when this MLS Disney tournament gets started, the ratings will be low if it's on regular ESPN because millions of people cancelled live TV. If they wanted eyeballs on the games, it must be on a streaming service like ESPN+. And and we talked a few weeks ago, too, about um, the K League and how much interest there was uh, when the news broke uh, incorrectly from one of the UK publications that... uh, that ESPN, ESPN Plus was uh, positioned to acquire the rights. And uh, when we did find out that the rights actually ended up with 11 sports, nobody seemed to care. Um, and and uh, there, there is a lot There is a lot to that. The ESPN Plus, you mentioned ESPN Plus in anything, and people are loving it. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. This is great, wonderful news. Finally, thank you. Uh, and I think a lot of it is because of the low price point, but the number of people that actually have it uh, there are craving content, especially on the soccer side. Last but not least, uh, Monty Reed says, uh, as I sit here watching the K League on eleven sports on Fubo TV, I recorded the match um so I'm watching it a few hours delayed without knowing the score. There is no commentary on the match, so Fox can go lower by omitting the world feed. So and, and that goes to last week's podcast where we talked talked about how low can Fox go? Well, I guess you know, eleven sports and the K League can can go a step below and, and not have any commentary at all. Uh, one last thing, Karthik, before um, we let l- listeners know where to send in the feedback is on Wednesday night, uh, ESPN uh, two uh, televised a, a game from uh, Costa Rica. It was the um Deportivo Saprisa and it had I think Adrian Healy and Alejandro um Alejandro was, was doing the, the commentary on this, um uh, Marino. So um so it looks like ESPN is um I guess desperate. I think we're all desperate for soccer coverage, but but now they're showing um Costa Rican soccer at uh, ten o'clock at night. Uh and, and that, that's likely to continue I would I would think. All right, listeners, this has been a long episode, so I appreciate you sticking with us. Um, We got we had, we went through a lot. There was a lot to cover. As you can tell, it is a very pivotal time in really the history of soccer. I mean, this is going to go into the history books, Kartik. I can see David Goldblatt in future generations. You mean, maybe, maybe David Goldblatt uh, Jr. writing about the 2020 pandemic and the impact that had on global sports and specifically soccer. And um, I think the worst is not over yet in terms of even just the impact on soccer. We'll have to wait and see what that happens. But we want you to have your say. Uh, whether you have questions, feedback, comments, ideas um, about streaming, television coverage, anything, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for your uh, feedback and letters and emails and comments and tweets, etc. Because we really do appreciate it. And and you guys are the ones that uh, drive this show forward. And um, we usually read out every uh, comment we get, whether it's positive, negative, or indifferent. Uh, We do value your feedback. All right, Kartik. So uh, to to tie things up, what are you doing this weekend? What are you going to be watching?
1: I'm going to be watching a lot of Bundesliga and uh, enjoying my football.
0: Okay. All the best. Cheers.